Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We have a special one today. We're talking all recruiting, and it's myself, Tim Priester, with Kevin Sinclair from Irish Illustrated, joined by a special guest, Tom Loy, from 24-7 Sports. And, guys, we got a lot of, a lot to talk about. We can talk about just about anything with these recruits, and it, I think our listeners will find it interesting to get some insight, especially from you, Tom, who is always on the front lines with this stuff. But Notre Dame, where they rank? 10th, 11th? Eighth. Somewhere. Yeah, 8th for 24-7 sports, yeah. Okay, 8th yeah. for 24-7 sports, and that seems about right. I, I think the top half of this class uh, is really, really good. I like it. I think we get into uh, quite a few projects in the in the second half. But, um, Tom Loy, let's start with you. Uh, what What do you like about this class in particular? I mean, I've said it for a very long time. I really do think this might be the best class um, since I've been here, since I've been covering Notre Dame. It is absolutely loaded. Um, I think that our guys that are ranking the, the class, Andrew Ivins, Cooper Patagna, those guys 24-7, I think they do a phenomenal job. If you guys saw like in the weeds what they do to get to where they are when it comes to the rankings, like it's incredible. And uh, But man, Kingston Villiamuasa is an incredible talent. He was number one for me when we ranked our ranked our class at Irish Illustrated. Um, and, and I don't think it was close. I really, um, I didn't really struggle with that. I struggled maybe with two through six, but Kingston Villiamuasa is a tremendous talent. I think he's potentially a day one starter. If he's not, he's going to play a, a ton as a true freshman, special talent, man. And I think we all saw his interview, his signing day interview at, at, at the school. And man, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was pretty cool to see. Um, other than that, I love the upside of Gerby Lambert, offensive tackle. I think he's going to be an outstanding player. Um, I don't think he's an immediate. I actually don't think he's as good as Charles Jagasaw at the same level. Uh, but, but he's but he's right there. Uh, I just think he's going to need a little bit more time than um, you know a, a starter as a true freshman in a bowl game. But and obviously, you guys know my opinion of CJ Carr couldn't be higher. Um, I've gone back and forth between him and Julian Sayan. As my number one overall quarterback in the class, I actually would have like Dylan Rayola uh, third. Um, I've seen them all in person, seen them a ton. And with the fact that when Tommy Reese was still here, the fact that it was either going to be CJ Carr or Julian Sane in the class, it was a, a really good problem to have. And um, and it just it really is a special class and and uh, very top heavy. So they're going to do a lot of good things here at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I think. Um... I'm a big needs guy, you know, like analyzing the, the, the positional needs. I think that's super important. You know, class ranking is important. Um, you know, everything top to bottom is important, but really meeting those positional needs is crucial. And I think going into the cycle or even, you know, over a year ago, looking ahead to it at what they needed, I, I, I saw that there was sort of like a handful of needs. Okay. And I, I feel like they, they address those needs with really good talent, like the priority position groups. Quarterback, you know, they didn't get the, you know, Kenny Minchie, nice quarterback, but they're really wanting that, you know, real blue chip, five-star-ish, top 100, no doubter kind of quarterback. CJ Carr is absolutely that. And he was also a real leader in the class, um, as we all know. Um, There's some really nice class unity. I'm sure we can get into that later, but he was certainly a leader of that. And then defensive end, in my uh, opinion, was a really, really important position group. Um, I can't believe the the leaps and the improvement of Bryce Young year to year. Unreal. Um, just a couple of years ago, he was sort of like a tall, skinny, kind of awkward 
kid who played wide receiver mostly in his season. And then the next thing you know, he's, you know, six, six and 240 pounds and looking like he might even be in the five, five-star discussion, you know, certainly a top 100, top 75 kind of guy. So that was, you know, Logan Thomas, Cole Mullins really like both of them. That was a really important position. And then of course, receiver is very important right now. Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert, and Logan Saldate is one of those, you know, um, potential steal sleeper category type guy really like him, but Micah Gilbert, I think he has a really good chance of playing right away or certainly as an underclassman. Cam Williams is, uh, you know, elite, uh, athletic and physical talent. So me, uh, right there, quarterback, receiver, defensive end, you're meeting some really priority needs with great talent. And then just kind of around that, whether, you know, guys who weren't necessarily filling really like, you know, uh, positions at Notre Dame's really thin on the depth chart or, you know, they weren't priority needs, but that running backs class is really something. Kedron Young, Neus Williams, excellent backs, and they complement each other perfectly. Gerby Lambert, as you were talking about, um, you know, just some really good supporting pieces there from the uh, perspective of what their like priority pressing needs were. So I really like all of that. A little bit short on a couple of positions, but again, those really crucial positional needs. Love how they uh, address those. What do you say, Tim? Actually, real quick, I just wanted to sure. add you when you mentioned Bryce Young, I, I forget if you were there, Tim, or not at that camp where he was working out with Al Washington. Um, I, I was very underwhelmed. And I'm like, I know who your dad is. And you look like you just started playing football. This was 18 months ago because I just looked when I put in the pictures. And I was like, I don't I don't see it. His Notre Dame was like, he's not there. But 100 percent that the growth is going to be there. Like, just 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 be patient. And and I mean, his growth, like you said, Kevin, has been incredible to see over the last year and a half. But no he was a guy that like at that time I would have ranked him maybe last in the class. To now, it's like, is he one, two, or three, four, five? Like, he's right there at the top. So, good call there, man. His growth has been incredible over the last uh, year and a half. Yeah, and that's surprising. I've known his dad, BY, for a long time since the day he walked into <laughs> Notre Dame. He's a class individual, and I'm not surprised that uh, BY's son has has advanced. Well, to this extent, I totally agree with you guys. It's it's an incredible rise. You know, we voted on these guys, the three of us, and, and uh, Tim O'Malley and of the top 10, seven are on the offensive side of the football. And there's no doubt that, you know, I, I, the three receivers, uh, Kevin, I'm with you on Saldate. I think that he's a, he's a real sleeper uh, nationally love the two running backs. And of course, CJ cars, who you're going to build your offense around Tom, you referenced the, the interview or not the interview, but the, uh, the gathering at, at KBA's high school and anybody that's seen that, if you haven't seen it, watch it. I'm a Nordin guy. So stuff like that, you know, gets me emotional when I watch it. And I just, there were some things in there that just, I just absolutely loved about him. Number one, he started to thank his dad. And the first thing that he thanked him for was thank you for making me accountable. We live in a country now that is more accountable than I've seen in my unaccountable in my, uh, in my entire life. And to hear an 18 year old kid talk about accountability that's a special quality to have. If you don't have accountability, you're not a complete adult in my mind. Uh, and and to hear him say that, I just, I was beaming when, when he said it, because I just think that it speaks to who he is, his maturity, the culture that he comes from, which is 
absolutely huge. And I did, I try to do everything I could to pick Gerby Lambert first, because I think that his skill set is absolutely incredible long-term, but you just can't get past everything that KV has. And then you throw in the fact of just his upbringing, his maturity, his integrity. You know, we talked about, and there's some questions. Maybe I, I don't want to walk over some of these questions as to why this, we have a question about why this was drama-free. And I, I think we'll wait till the second segment to, to address that. But uh, yeah, you know, I, when we talk about where are they short, I, I, I'm concerned about safety. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not mm-hmm. convinced that that's a quality safety class. I love the athleticism of Tay Johnson. I will not be shocked if he becomes a top five, top seven player in this class. I also wouldn't be shocked if he's a great athlete that isn't doesn't become a great football player. That's just kind of how I look at it, Kevin. I think that you and I are in accordance a little bit with that with with our rankings. I just have done this too many years <laughs> to to not look at. You know, there's going to be a minimum of the third of this class not being uh, contributors, and you you have to look and say, okay, who who will not be one of those guys? Um, you know, and, and I don't know, we're going to be surprised by who ends up being at the top and the bottom based upon what we think right now. But I think they need, I, I I just don't know that that safety class, uh, is going to prove to be, uh, profitable for Notre Dame, Tom. Yeah. I was just going to add, I I think that there was, that's probably a hole, um, where I think that, that they probably was their biggest miss this cycle. Um, when you think about, Early on, you had Peyton Woodyard and Kingston Villamuasa at Bosco, and you're like, okay, they got a shot, a real good shot with Woodyard, but Kingston's the long shot. And then you, <laughs> you know, fast forward, and it's the opposite. Um, so I think that landing Woodyard would have been would have, would have been a big addition. Um, they had an early shot with Jacob Odin, who is from Michigan, ended up wanting to play for the Wolverines, and um, they had some really strong indications they were getting Dijon Lane out of uh, Baltimore before he picked Penn state. And that had to do a little backstory was, you know, we had some commitment stories ready and and all this kind of stuff because we expected him to pop for Notre Dame. Notre Dame expected him to pop, but his brother was a transfer, I think at Navy or air force and they, it wasn't going to work out for Notre Dame to get the brother. So when that didn't happen, Dijon ended up not going to Notre Dame. He ended up going to Penn state. So I think that was the the tipping point there. Cause if you add him to the class, I absolutely love him. Six, three, 200 pounds, you know, throw him on the back end of this defense and, and he'd be probably a top 10, 12 player in this class. So that would have filled a hole when you have him and Tay Johnson. So um, yeah, that was a, that was a blow. And then obviously the other one was Davis Andrews, but he's two years away anyway. So um, that would have been nice to have uh, one more safety, like you said. Yeah. Looking at that safety, another thing now, <clears throat> I want to say, first off, I could be wrong about this and he could um, play to uh, certainly end up in one of the two safety positions, but um, I actually really like Tabron Manny Powell, but I think he's, Again, and I'm not sure, but I think he could end up being a nickel. And so, you know, nickel's not exactly a safety position, really. Um, it's in the slot over there. So you're kind of looking at Bronte Johnson and then Kenny Urlacher, who is, I mean, you guys know how much time I spend chasing down game films and watching game film. That was one of the most just, it was really difficult to get game film where, um, you know, you could sort of see the whole field and can see what Kennedy Urlacher is doing from play to play. And so I didn't get a really good look at him. Uh, I think he's a really tough kid. Um, I think, you know, he's, he comes from a really, really good program. Chandler High School, I think they have like 3,500 students there. So you can imagine what their football program's like, um, really good coaches in that. But I don't really know what they have in him. I don't think really anyone does. So we'll see what happens there. Bronte Johnson, 
again, outstanding athlete. I could, I think he might be a better offensive player, maybe though. Um, he's really good at the ball in his hands. I don't know. So I think I think you guys would all agree. There's just kind of question marks with those two. We we think they're good athletes, but we'll see kind of what happens there. Again, I think Tabron Benny Powell could be a nickel. And this was a class where they really needed safeties. I thought Don Schuler, Ben Minnick were really good start last year after just miss and miss and miss and miss in the in the classes before then. Um, so it was really important. We'll see sort of what happens there. It's going to be a priority again in 2025, I'd imagine. But yeah, that's my thoughts on the safety position. And and one more thing, Kennedy Erlacher could absolutely move and play linebacker. I mean, I, I know he that, there's that too. That's, yeah, that's the other thing. So if you're counting on him as a safety, I mean, that dude could easily fill out and just be that shorter, stockier, really you know athletic linebacker. But mm-hmm. the other thing was you mentioned uh, Tabor and Benny Powell. Like, I don't think any of us are really like you know banging on the door to say how great this kid is yet. But he did he did improve and he had a good senior season. And that's a guy that, you know, inside the Goog, they're much higher than his ranking would suggest. So um, he may not be a four star right now, but Notre Dame believes he has that type of ability. So um, if he can grow into a guy that's better than we all expect, um, and that's why they recruited him, because he's done really well in the high school level, then that's a big win for Notre Dame, too. Well, that would be great. And Kevin, if he's a nickel, that's perfect. That's just absolutely fine. My concern about Erlacher is just, you know, the Erlacher needs to be closer to the line of scrimmage. That's where he excels. And, you know, he's just got to get a lot bigger. And I'm not sure that he he can do that. Another guy, you know, uh, I mean, I, I I think Teddy Rizak, if he has good, if he has quality football instincts that translate to the college level, he's going to be a good football player because he's long and he can move. And on the second level, he's going to be very good. Um I have concerns about, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about all good things here moving up of course, but I have concerns about Styles Prescott long-term uh physicality. Uh we 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 heard some a little bit of feedback about that maybe being a, a an issue great length, you know, exactly what you need, but you know, all, most offensive linemen are are projects when they arrive. We're a little bit spoiled with some of these young offensive linemen that ha- that have risen in recent years. That's the that's still the exception to the norm. Uh, and so Prescott's going to take a little bit of time, but I, I'm, you know, I'm high on Rezac. We had as a, as a group, the four of us, we rated Sevillano um, 17th. I have him higher than that. I, I Look, I know that conditioning is, is very, very important and he has to, he's got to stay on top of that, but the guy has skills, man. He has athletic skills. If he can be in great shape and and build his stamina up, I think he's a very underrated player in this class. And Jack Larson, he lacks size. I try not to rate smaller tight ends too high because I think that ends up burning you. But that kid, that kid has great quickness off the snap of the football. I think he's got a lot of potential. We all like, we all like Cole Mullins. I think nationally, we I think we all look at him and say, nationally, people don't get it about him. He's got a chance to be a pretty good player. I like him at strong side end. Tom, mm-hmm. I was yeah, I was just going to add Jack Larson, man. I was closer to I have him for I had him fourteen. I was closer to putting him inside the top ten than closer to twenty. Um, I really think he might be or one of the best uh, pass catching tight ends in the country. Um, I get it; he's not six four, six five, six six, but this dude, he's so productive. And um, if they can if they can get something out of him as a blocker and help him develop and continue to fill out the right way, I mean. This dude's going to catch a, a lot of balls at, at Notre Dame and, and all the guys that Notre Dame fans wanted him to, 
wanted them to recruit like a Christian Bettenker. Um, there's a couple other kids that I'm, I'm kind of blanking on who was it pre scorn um, when he was at camp, like all these guys that might be ranked higher than Jack Larson, like he outperformed them at, at camp. So I think Jack Larson is going to be a big pickup for Notre Dame. And I think a lot of people are, are really sleeping on him as a productive tight end at the next level. Yeah. Kevin, what were you going to add? Oh, I was just going to say, you guys, I'm sure saw it and, and people listening who tuned into social media and stuff probably saw for every single Notre Dame signee, like when they signed, they probably saw I posted like a, a little video that was between one and two minutes of each signee uh, on Twitter. I posted them in our message board at, at the Four Horsemen Lounge at Irish Illustrated as well. And and what that was, was I took all of the film that I had and that, that I had access to for each player. And I boiled it down to just the best plays in like 60 to 90 seconds, maybe two minutes most. Jack Larson, that reel, the catches he made in there are unbelievable. And I can tell you that it was really hard to boil them down to just like 90 seconds worth. Because I could have made like an eight minute clip of catches like that. And, and I don't think I'm even really exaggerating there. He's uh yeah, like you were saying, Tom, and like you were saying, Tim, really special receiving skills. And he's so far outside the box of your typical Notre Dame tight end, which is like Cooper Flanagan's like 6'6, 250 to 260 pounds. That's a normal tight end, and he was a four-star in that. And we, we know what those Notre Dame tight end recruits look like, right? Uh, we've been seeing them every year. He's not like that. He's like 6'3, 215, 220. I don't know. Do they use him sort of like a Dallas Clark kind of guy? Is he is he like a kind of a slot receiver mismatch guy who plays some H back to? I don't know. But man, he's got some really, uh, really exciting skill. And Teddy Rizak, uh, just to touch on that really quickly, I, I watched a lot of his junior season film. You could see the speed and the talent and athleticism, but he wasn't really assertive, right? You know, when I watch his senior year, man, he is flying to the ball, hitting. Um, he can just really, really, really run and tackle, right? He's fast. He can move and he's getting more aggressive. He needs to continue getting more and more aggressive. Um, but I finally, you know, saw this year exactly what they saw in him as that sort of project, um, you know, third linebacker in the class kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to wrap up this segment, but I, you know, underrated guys, I think Bodie Cahoon is underrated. He's he, again, a little bit undersized, but he's a heat heat seeking missile man when he when he's attacking the football. Uh, we'll talk about we're going to talk about all these guys more with the questions in in uh, in, in segment two. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with Home Field because their designs are the best out there. Some of Ivers Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory March tee, the script tee, and the retro long sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com, filter by Notre Dame, and see what we're talking about. There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie, and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using promo code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Notre Dame gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Homefield Apparel. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Homefield is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com, and again, use our code IRISHILLUSTRATED for 15% off your first order. Coming up is segment two, burning up the boards. 
If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a uh, double question here from, this is unbelievable, from Larry Fa 164 Have you ever seen such a drama-free class like this? And then from Play Like a Champ 7, how impressive is it that Notre Dame was able to lock up CJ Carr early and despite the changes at OC twice, there wasn't ever a worry about uh, that dude wavering from his word. I yeah. Said, yeah. I said, dude, he didn't say dude. <laughs> I've never seen a drama free class like this. It was very relaxed. I think last year I was trying to figure out if it was going to be Notre Dame, Oregon or Oklahoma for Peyton Bowen. And there was there was, you know, going back, you had Keon Keeley, you had Dante Moore, Silent Commitment, all this kind of stuff. And it's, that, that stuff happens every single cycle. And it kind of goes back to like what I was talking about on our 24 seven sports signing day show yesterday, like CJ Carr, Cam Williams, they commit in June of 2022. And there was really no wavering from either of them. They were locked in. Every time I check in with them, they're like, Nope, all good. Just recruiting. So-and-so trying to get this guy in the class. You know, there was just really no drama. And it made, I think the the fans on the site, with the subscribers at Irish Illustrated were a little like, upset like i need more i need more juice and i'm like it's okay that things go smooth i promise you we'll <laughs> survive calm. Yeah. that's what i mean like it's okay so no really really enjoyed that aspect of it and getting to know these kids and they were just they they were locked in and it just shows that marcus freeman is doing his doing his job at a high level recruiting the right kids that that understand what notre dame is about and they're picking a bigger decision than just football so um and then just quickly to the second part um cj carr when he i, I was told that when Gino Guaduli got hired, there was a little bit of uncertainty. And we mentioned on the board, like, hey, I, I think he's coming to Notre Dame. I feel very confident. Um, I'd be shocked if it wasn't. I would give it less than 10% that he doesn't pick Notre Dame with Gino Guaduli coming to Notre Dame and replacing Tommy Reese. CJ and Tommy are super close. Uh, and he's very close with their entire car, the entire car family. So that was a little bit of a hiccup. Uh, um, and then with Guaduli, when he was at Cincinnati and CJ wasn't really blowing up and he was, it was very early in his recruitment, I don't think they necessarily saw eye to eye during a visit to Cincinnati. And maybe it was Guaduli saying like, in a sense, like this dude's elite, one of the best in the country. We're not going to land him. So like, I don't know if that was kind of the hiccup there, but so, so right away, as soon as that happened, I, I mean, I, if you guys remember back to it, it was a little, a little bit uncertain for, you know, a day or two, but other than that, he was locked in, man. It was, um, and he, he did nothing but recruit his tail off for Notre Dame and uh, he and Gino have a good relationship now, and it's only gotten better. So um, all in all, that was a, a very minor 24-hour blip, but but nothing really to, to worry about. Mm-hmm, yeah. <clears throat> I mentioned it in the first segment there, the sort of class unity that we're talking about. 
Uh, that was really good information there from Tom. I also think just beyond just Reese leaving, there's been a, other departures as well. Chancey Stuckey, who was really popular. And what I'm sort of getting at there is, you know, Cam Williams, another guy committed really early, right around the time CJ Carr did. Those two, you know, building a really good friendship. You know, CJ goes to Chicago, they spend time here. And I think um, Marcus Freeman brought it up in the press conference yesterday. Just they're a really close class. And I, you know, there's always commits in every class come, you know, buddies, they friends, they see each other on campus and game day visits and that. But this one felt like, like a little closer than than others, maybe than any of them I've covered. And I, I think that that was really big uh, recently when, when Chancey Stuckey left uh, right away. It's, man, that guy is really popular among those receiver commits. Uh, I'm sure they might not have gotten all three without Chancey Stuckey. But very quick, I think it was within hours or if not by the end of the night, they were all, you know, pledging their allegiance to Notre Dame sort of on social media. And um, anyhow, just that that unity and starting with Cam Williams and CJ Carr committing so early and then being really adamant about recruiting more players, kids like Carson Hobbs and others. I think all of that was really important within that discussion of, you know, guys sticking despite coaches leaving. And then just quickly on the um you know, the drama free class, you know, I was really thinking about it in terms of how kind of quiet it was, uh, lack of surprises, lack of nervousness and that sort of thing. Um, I couldn't really think of one that was quite as quiet and, and stress-free. I, I look back, there was the 2019 class where on signing day, the only thing that happened was Isaiah Foskey announcing his commitment. Um, but it was something we already knew was coming. I think at least a couple of months before then, there was the Cade McNamara decommitment early that uh, in that cycle, but it was really early and they were able to, you know, eventually shore that up, but um, not a super high drama class that one, but this one yesterday was as quiet as can be. Well, the, the Foskey one was funny because he had signed early and we right. knew that. And it was mm -hmm. like, all these people were having a meltdown. Like, why isn't his letter of intent? And why isn't he signing early? <laughs> and we couldn't say anything. Yeah. Like, just relax. Just trust us for once. <laughs> and then the Cade, Cade McNamara one was funny, too, because the whole, like, if I remember correctly, he didn't feel like he was going to get a fair shot. Because yeah, Dracovic. He was strong at quarterback because of Phil Dracovic. So, yeah. Like, it's just, it's just so funny when you think about it, like after the fact, but at the time it was like, man, Phil's a world beater. Like we can't, you know, I don't know, pretty, pretty wild how things play out. Well, I, you know, I go back <laughs> to the early eighties and, and, and needless to say, you know, I mean, you, we, we, there weren't fax machines when I first started covering Notre Dame football. So you could like, you couldn't fax in, uh, you know, your letter of intent or anything like that. And there, and of course the main thing, what contributes to less drama, which which I love and appreciate, uh, is the early signing period. It, it just it's made a it's a, made a massive difference in the process because you always know that you have the early one and then you have the fallback one and there's really no drama once you get to February. But um, yeah, it I you know it's maybe it's not as fun I guess for for some of the uh, followers of recruiting. But it also speaks to the the type of kid that Notre Dame recruited in this class. Um, you know, there was tons of speculation about KVA and Ohio State, or he's wearing on Ohio State sweatshirt or what have you. He wasn't <laughs> he wasn't going to to change his mind. They're they're definitely well. You know, Guaduli's a little bit of a understated personality, so maybe him and Carr didn't quite mesh right away. He's kind of a 
he's understated. He's a slow talking, quiet speaking kind of guy sometimes. So, you know, maybe they didn't connect right away then, but uh, yeah, definitely for me uh, as drama free as anything that I've experienced since I started in the early eighties question from NDB ish Irish football, something like that. This is the third class that Freeman has signed as head coach. What's the biggest difference you've noticed between Freeman and Brian Kelly classes? Um, you know, I, I think it's really about tapping into um, whether it's like certain regions they haven't tapped into or just blue chip recruits, right? So you look back, um, you know, Kelly era classes, there's usually, you know, one to three of those big time guys. I think they legitimately got a, about five of them. You know, we're looking at Kingston, CJ Carr, Cam Williams, Gerby Lambert, uh, Bryce Young, right? And, and then there's a few, I think, you know, uh, another one at, at least that could prove to be in that group as well, whether it's Kedron Young, Aeneas Williams, Mikey Gilbert. So I just think it's what the big thing is there is hitting more of those top 100 and blue chip recruits. Um, you look ahead to the next class, okay? I know we're talking about the 2024 class, but I was just thinking about it this morning. You look at the next class. They have a blue-chip quarterback from Mississippi. Uh, they have his, a, a four-star defensive end in C.J. May from small-town Alabama. They've got a running back from Arkansas. They've got um, Ivan Taylor from Winter Garden, Florida, like just the kind of area of Florida where they've recruited kids like him forever and, and never land them. You know, they got Dexter Williams from his same school. That was a decade ago. But just that kind of recruit and area that they weren't getting much traction in at all under Brian Kelly, just kind of expanding their their uh, the borders, I guess, of, of uh, what they can reach into and actually land and sign. So I think that's a big part of it. You've got a just more uh, a much more charismatic uh, head coach who's much more motivated to and dedicated to recruiting. Um, and, you know, as they say, you know, starts from the top and trickles down through your staff. Um, that's really the biggest component for me. Tom, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think that uh, Brian Kelly used to take some really soft takes, some guys that were heavy Notre Dame leans, and they were like that middle tier kind of kind of player and um or even like a low-end four-star and they would take him and it kind of kind of question it like man they're just filling up early with a guy that probably won't get any better or trend up in the rankings um whereas you know marcus freeman is is swinging and going for guys like kva who are down to fr from the west coast near la um you ha has usc coming after him like he's the best player in the country and ohio state and all these schools alabama um, so I just feel like what Marcus Freeman is doing is is really just building a class with difference makers, and that's kind of what's separating him. Rather than he's not really worried about rankings at the time, because a lot of the guys, if you really look at it and break it down, a lot of the guys he landed are are trending up in the rankings. I know they didn't get as many five stars as the fans want to get, but like just look at the big picture. And guys are climbing the rankings and, and and they have offers from everywhere in the country, which I mean, look at CJ Carr. He could have played anywhere. If Cam Williams wasn't so locked in 
in June of 2022, he would have had more offers and had everybody knocking on his doorstep, but he didn't worry about it and just told every school that came after him, like, hey, I'm I'm solid in Notre Dame, so don't worry about it. KBA obviously trending up. I mean, he's going to, I think when more people see him at the All-American Bowl, I think he's going to trend up. I mean, he could absolutely end up as a five-star in this class. Again, Bryce Young, same situation as Cam Williams. If he wasn't a legacy to Notre Dame, if people didn't think he was a lock, then he would have had more offers. Um, you know, Gerby Lambert, same situation at every offer in the country. Kedron Young had, from what I'm told, turned down a bunch of money to go to AM and he actually stuck with Notre Dame down the stretch. So again, all these guys that that Notre Dame's recruiting, um, they're they're trending up in the rankings. Uh, they're 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 guys that everybody across the country likes. So that's probably the big difference, is like it, it wasn't easy for Notre Dame to keep this class together, yet goes back to the previous question. I'm blown away that there was no drama down the stretch over the last few months. So um, in the end, Marcus Freeman is really building a team that will genuinely compete for national championships for years to come. So um, I think the next four years, it's going to be a, a really, really uh, fun time for Notre Dame fans. Guys, I'm really gonna... quick. Sorry, Tim. Uh, just really quickly, just to support your, your point there, uh, Tom, I'm looking at the rankings right now. Cam Williams, I believe he was ranked below the top 100 when when they first started recruiting him or when he committed. He's uh, you know 29 in the composite rankings now, five star. Um, uh, Bryce Young was a three star recruit. He's now 107 com- composite and in the top 100 at 24 seven sports. Kedron Young was like a mid to lower four star. He's now uh, way up just outside the top 100. You've got um, Anthony Knapp and Logan Soldate were both three-star recruits. They're now uh, in the four-star category. So yeah, and you really look at, look at it up and down. There's a lot of movers upward. Moving on to a question from Andy Dan 106. Every season a freshman emerges and contributes on offense, defense, and special teams. Who are the guys we should expect to see in each of those areas? Some of these will not be a surprise, I'm sure. Yeah, I think uh, I might steal an answer. Probably would be for all three of us, but Kedron Young on offense would be the one for me. I think he is game ready now physically and just athletically and talent wise. Uh, I think he's going to be able to push for early playing time at Notre Dame. Defensively, it's pretty obvious. Kingston Villamuasa, difference maker. Um, I don't even care if you want to put him at receiver. This dude can play anywhere he wants to play. He is a genuine difference maker, in my opinion, a future first round pick. Special teams. I guess you could make an argument for somebody like uh, Bronte Johnson, just athletically runs really well and tackle, you know, plays safety at a high level. So I think if you threw him at, at, you know, on special teams, I think he'd have no problem commit uh, contributing right away from Marty Biagi. Mm -hmm. Yep. I had, uh, you know, offensively, yeah, Kedron, that's actually a a really good answer. Um, I think if I were to add, um, throw in someone different, Micah Gilbert really seemed like a guy who just, this is what I had to emphasize when I watched his season, they played a, a much more challenging and just sort of talent-filled schedule than I re- had realized. They basically played a, a lot of the very best teams in, in North Carolina, Providence Day, and teams with power five-bound talent like uh, Myers Park, and just really good teams. The team that Sullivan Absher came from, which is a division lower, but they're the best team in that division. So really, really good teams. But then they also played a couple of teams from Georgia that were both undefeated and ranked in the top 100 high school teams in the whole country. So they went and they played all these good teams. Those two teams in Georgia might've been the two best on the schedule. And he had two of his best games statistically uh, against those teams. I think one of the games he had 10 catches for somewhere around 200 yards and a few touchdowns. He just, my point is no matter who they played, the defense could not contain him. So 
I could see him playing early and perhaps uh, this next uh, fall coming up. Defense uh, has to be Kingston. I, I don't know how you could <laughs> veer away from him. And then special teams, that's a really uh, interesting question. Tim O'Malley would actually be really good at that. He's uh, always thinking about special teams. But, you know, maybe a guy like Bodie Cahoon who can, like I said, he can really run and tackle Teddy Rezac, Kennedy Erlacher, um, guys who can really run. They're aggressive. They can tackle. That's my two cents. You know, we talked about this in in one of our instant analysis yesterday. Um, I when you look at Notre Dame's situation at defensive end, especially strong side defensive end. Now I know RJ Open is coming in, and he's really a guy that could probably play either position. But I think it's going to be hard to keep Bryce Young off the field just mm-hmm. because of his length, right, and the need at that position. Kevin, you talk about you know needs. You look at things from a need standpoint. I think it's going to be it. it and I know that he's still new to the game, and it's it's really an amazing meteoric rise. Tom, you talked about eighteen months ago. That was how you felt about him eighteen months ago. <laughs> but I think that he's a guy that could 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 be that uh, that early contributor, largely because of need and then just the length. I like Erlacher as a special teams guy. I think that he's a guy that could come in and and do that right away. Offensively, I'm really not sure who who I would pick. Uh, you know, I think th- th- there's the perception that Michael Gilbert's a little bit ahead of Cam Williams, even though the rating doesn't uh, reflect that. But th- those are some of the guys that, uh, you know, this isn't a this is the 2024 team is not going to be one that's going to necessarily need a whole lot of freshman help, uh, especially with the, with the way that they've supplemented in the grad transfer uh, por- in the transfer portal. And there there may be more to come in the transfer portal. So we'll see about that. Question from Ever to Excel: Do you think Marcus Freeman has a type of offense in mind in his offensive coordinator search, or do you think he'll cast a wide net in candidates regardless of what kind of offense they run? Tom, I mean, I don't think he has a specific type of offense. I think he wants to have a blend that throws the ball, runs the ball. I don't think he wants some air raid offense and you know, throwing it all around the field 40 times and barely running the ball, if not more. Um, I think he wants to have balance. And I think that that's what may have kept some candidates, you know, um, really, really off the final board uh, when they eventually, you know, went from Ludwig and Jared Parker and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think he, you know, I know he said in his press conference, he wants to go national and I definitely think he will. I don't think he's just going to hand the job to a Gino, Gino Guduli or Dylan McCullough or anything like that. So I think they're going to swing. Um, it's a very attractive job. Obviously, it's Notre Dame, but it's Notre Dame right now, and there's so much talent in the room um, and, and, and in the building. So I think Mike Mike Denbrock. I think you you make a run at him and you wait for him to say no. And uh, if he does, um, I think I think he's priority number one, and I think that'd be a tremendous hire. So um, you know, obviously there's other guys involved, but I think you uh, and I think Tim, you probably would agree, like. Kirby Moore's involved as well, but you yeah. you you give Mike Denbrock every opportunity to say well, no. Well, yeah, I've known Mike Denbrock for for a couple of decades. We uh, every time we see each other again, we get a, a a laugh, and this would be this would be a big laugh since it would be time number three that he's been at Notre Dame. But I don't, you know, if Mike Denbrock's offered the job, he's not turning it down. He wants to be at Notre Dame. There's, he's never made any bones about it. He's never left Notre Dame of his own volition. It's it's always been forced upon him. Uh, and, and yeah, I, beyond, you know, I, I, our Thursday, my Thursday thoughts were just published and, you know, last year, Tom, remember we were scrambling on a Sunday to try to put a list together of candidates. We ended up putting a, a list of 12 out, uh, when we put our heads together on that, Denbrock was on that list. 
so so was Andy Ludwig and some others certainly, but uh, he, Mike Denbrock would not turn it down. Um, you know, it's our, it's our understanding that uh, talking to John Bryce about this too, that, that uh, there's been a lot of talk about Denbrock, Denbrock and the extension. He, it's our understanding he did not sign an extension, which makes a significant difference in this whole process. And the location actually of LSU to Notre Dame, the distance might very well play a role in buyouts and things like that, because I think the whole idea is, okay, we'll let my, you know, contracts are very complicated these days. We'll let Mike Denbrock go, but it can't be to an SEC school. And so the fact that it would be Notre Dame in competition there, I think is, is significant, but you know, Kirby Moore, I find it interesting because a lot of a lot of people look at at uh, you know coaches. They read the bio, they look at stats, and they make a determination. This guy would be great, or this guy would be lousy. If you look at Missouri's offense, you know how many times they scored forty points this year? Once in Game Twelve uh, against Arkansas when they scored forty eight. You know they they didn't put up huge numbers. I, I, they were pretty balanced. Uh, they did a really good job of their yards per pass attempt is like in the top 15, which is, which that's a, that's a stat that I, I always look at uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, but, you know, right now, those, those are the two guys that we're looking at. We're not, it's a different situation. We're not going to put out a list of 10, 12 guys because although it is a national search, you know, I, I just, you want to get that guy in place as soon as possible. They've, they've been, they've kept an eye on this possibility with Jared Parker, uh, you know, potentially moving on as a head coach candidate at a place like Troy. Uh, I, right now, those are the only two guys that we're listing that could change before this podcast actually airs. Yeah. I think the only two names that I would add that were definitely at least considered talk to um, at least evaluated for the position before was Akron's Joe Moorhead. If you're looking at potential head coaches to make the move, um, two offensive coordinator would be Akron's Joe Moorhead and Toledo's Jason Candle. Both are tremendously respected, um, great offensive minds. And so that could be an opportunity for them to go technically down a level from, from head coach to OC and then back up to a much better head coaching job. So just keep an eye on those guys. But really, again, Mike, Mike Denbrock should, and in my opinion, will be um, the, the the first call. So Yeah, and just a reminder, I know nobody remembers our list of 12, but Joel Moorhead was listed first last February, or uh, yeah, in February when we put that list out, Jason Candle was on that list as well. Another OC question uh, from Plaqued ITFDB. I would love to see Denbrock as OC. So this is not a slam, but I've seen where the LSU quarterback coach, and that is Joe Sloan, by the way, uh, was credited with Jaden Daniels' improvement more than anyone. Your thoughts on that? Again, not saying Denbrock didn't do a heck of a job and isn't a good play caller, but just genuinely curious. Kevin, you want you you have you want to jump in on any of this? No, I mean you guys are doing a great job. I don't want to get in your way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll chime in. Um, I think the only person who could properly answer this would probably be Jaden Daniels. Um, I think he's the only one that would really be able to break down exactly who helped him develop the most. And um, and that goes back to his time at Arizona State. So I think this one is, you know, it, it's probably a cumulative, a collective effort to, to really take his talent to the next level. But I mean, realistically, 
there's a possibility that I could have been offensive coordinator and Jaden Daniels would have won the Heisman. I mean, that guy, when he just, he would just go crazy and do his thing and defenses couldn't stop him. And, and um, you know, it doesn't hurt that they have some really tremendous playmakers on offense. So I think Denbrock is a really, really good offensive mind. I think Tim, you'd agree with that. He's good at his job. He's a people person. He recruits at a high level. And I think fit wise, the guy loves Notre Dame. So everybody wants to ask, why would he leave LSU for Notre Dame? Because you you clearly don't know Mike Denbrock because he absolutely loves this place. Um, he's got great respect for Marcus Freeman and everything they're doing there. So um, I wouldn't take anything away from him as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator. Um, I think they're doing a really good job collectively. Even Brian Kelly uh, has been involved in J- Jaden Daniels' uh, uptick as a player. So I really think it's just a group effort. I, I agree with every you, – you know Denbrock the way I know Denbrock. Uh, Tom, I've known him a little bit longer, but you know him the same way. And, and I would say that – you know, I think Mike Denbrock, well, first of all, he's a smart guy. And he said a people person, that's that is exactly it. He is a great glue guy for your staff. You know, there's not there, you, you're not Mike Denbrock is not seeking confrontations within the staff. He's a he's a glue guy. I think he's a better offensive coordinator and play caller for having been at Cincinnati and LSU for the last seven years. You know, we always talk about high ceiling, high floor. I, you know, are there coordinators out there that have a higher ceiling than Mike Denbrock? Probably some younger guys that, that are a little, little bit more cutting edge and, and see the game from a little bit different perspective as opposed to a guy in his late 50s. But I think what Mike Denbrock has more than anything, well, not more than anything, but I think one of the things that he has is an extremely high floor, which I, which I think is important when it comes to being a play caller week after week after week. And as it pertains to Jane Daniels and winning the Heisman, yeah, he also had Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas as his receivers, and, and they helped make uh, make things pretty easy for him. Going back to the uh, class of 2024, some recruiting questions. The Salty Jazz 14. Cam Williams is a freaky athletic five-star but the chat around him does not seem to bear the excitement. I would expect for such a highly rated prospect at a position of critical need would gain more excitement. How do you see his career at Notre Dame unfolding? Can he be a legit number one like Michael Floyd, Will Fuller, Chase Claypool? I, Tom, I think uh, Kevin, sure. I'm sorry, Tom, you mentioned, uh, and I'm going to go right back to you, Kevin, but I think that you mentioned that, um, you know, because he committed early, that took away some of the fanfare with, with Cam Williams. But Kevin, go ahead and chime in on that, please. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, <clears throat> I kind of tried to clear it up a little bit in my in our ranking the commits piece, which we published this morning. And I, I just, um, urge everyone to check that out. Here's here's where we're sort of getting at here. I was just talking about Mike Gilbert and that competition he played. He was going up against cornerbacks and defensive players who were going to go to power five or division one teams on a regular basis throughout his senior season. And they couldn't contain him. He was outstanding. So long as the quarterback could get him the ball, he was making plays. He, I believe he averaged just over a hundred yards per game. He was really, really sharp. He's a little bit more sudden than I thought. And he's a guy who's probably it's, it's easy to envision him, um, you know, taking in the college game, learning the playbook and being capable of playing right away. Cam Williams has more talent than Mikey Gilbert. He has elite speed. You just look at him physically. He looks like those 
you know, top 50 receivers that you see down in Florida every year. You know, there's several of them every season. There's far less of them in the Midwest. Cam Williams is one of those receivers, though. However, the competition he played at his program in Chicago, it's not a historically like really, really, really weak, um, you know, division and, and area. But this season, it was weaker than I'd seen previously. And he wasn't being like, you know, challenged in a big way by these defensive backs he's playing. So anyways, the transition, the difference between what he was playing this year as a senior to what he's old play at Notre Dame is like 100 miles long. Micah Gilbert, it's much shorter than that. However, I would just this is the last thing I'd say on this is I, I would it would be foolish to doubt Cam Williams and what he's going to be capable of doing. He's one of the brightest, most self-aware, impressive young guys I've probably ever covered as a as, as in terms of all the recruits I've ever covered over the years. He's a, a fantastic kid. Um, and again, he has all the talent in the world. So if he can transition a little more quickly, be college ready quicker than maybe we assume, I will not be surprised at all. But that is why myself and some others think Mikey Gilbert might be ready sooner. And a lot of it has to do with the competition he played and just the, the look he has on the field. He's a big, strong kid who should be able to mix it up with college defensive backs right away. But Cam Williams might be able to as well. In my ranking, uh, I had Cam Williams higher than Micah Gilbert by two spots. Cam's five, Micah Gilbert's seven. If I rank them as two most likely to play as true freshmen, I would have it the other way around. I, I would be surprised if Cam Williams didn't redshirt in year one, and I don't think people need to freak out about that. It's it's mm -hmm. completely okay. And I think that Micah Gilbert has a better opportunity to play day one at Notre Dame. So um, him, him, if, if somebody's going to play, um, I really think it's going to be Micah Gilbert in year one. Now, speaking long-term, I definitely feel great about my um, comp of Cam Williams being Julio Jones 2.0. I think he's a top five player in this class for, for Notre Dame. Um, but again, I was probably closer to having him, you know, eight or 10 than one in this entire class. And it doesn't mean that I don't, I'm not extremely high on Cam Williams because I am. I just think this class is really, really good from top to bottom. So uh, very excited about him. He's freaky athletic, but he's very raw in some areas. I've seen him, and I would tell him this to his face because I have a good relationship with him. Like, I've seen him drop a lot of balls. I've seen him drop too many. But, man, when he is locked in, he is he is elite. He is a difference maker, and, and really he's special with that position. So he just needs to fine-tune the areas, like you said, Kevin. He just needs to get coached mm -hmm. That's on Mike Brown, and that's exciting because I, I really think that he's going to get the most out of Cam. I really think that that he's going to be kind of a difference maker for Cam to take him to the next level. And I'm super excited about what he's going to do with Micah Gilbert and Logan Saldate as well. But Cam just – he looks and he moves at a different pace, and he looks a little, a little different than most guys across the country. So um, can he be a legit number one? Absolutely. Will it take a little bit more time? Um, was he – you know, he's just not game day one ready, like a Micah Gilbert, like a Jaden Greathouse, like a Rico Flores. But again, mm -hmm. it's not something that anybody needs to be concerned about. This kid, he probably knows that about himself. Um, and I think he understands what Notre Dame can do for him long term. I, I wouldn't be freaking out if he doesn't play a ton as a freshman and people are going to be like, oh, he's going to transfer if he doesn't see the field. That's not how Cam Williams is built. So I think he can be patient. I think fans can be patient. His upside is through the roof. One thing to consider is that that these freshmen will be walking into a wide receivers room 
that's a little bit more established, especially with Chris Mitchell and, and Bo Collins coming in. And then last year's freshman class, I know they lost, uh, I know they lost Rico Flores, but uh, great house phase on, and we all expect a, a healthy Jaden Thomas. So getting playing time will be a little bit more difficult. Question from Sheedy, and that is, what was the backstory with Owen Wafel? He seemed like potentially an excellent defensive line prospect, and as a Hun School student, a perfect academic candidate for Notre Dame. What happened? You know, that one was kind of weird. Like, he, I think he was just kind of wanted to keep his options open. Look at look at Michigan. Mike Elston was doing a really good job recruiting him. And he was a little bit on the fence about his future at Notre Dame. Um, he is an outstanding fit. Like you like you mentioned there, Sheedy. Um, terrific fit at Notre Dame on and off the field. Great kid. Love dealing with that kid. Um, but I just think this was more of uh, maybe looking at the depth chart, looking at playing time, looking at the class as a whole, but also, you know, classes ahead of him and what they were doing potentially in 2025 as well. And uh, I just, I, th I would probably make an argument that Michigan may have out-recruited Notre Dame for, for Wafel. And, but on the flip side, I don't think Notre Dame right now is losing sleep over what could have been. So they're going to be fine. Wafel's got, Wafel's in a good spot at Michigan. Uh, Elston will do a good job coaching him up. So I don't think there was too much drama. It was just a case of you know, being a little on the fence and Notre Dame was a little on the fence and it just, it worked out for both, both, both parties. Kevin, what's your mm -hmm. perspective on that? Well, you know, I just, uh, Tom already sort of talked a lot of it about the why. So I'm digging too much more of that, but, you know, I remember talking to, I'll be careful here, but I was talking to someone really close to him one day and like um, in the fall and, or sorry, it wasn't the fall, but it was during the recruiting cycle and they were talking about, Oh, just, we just love Notre Dame. Owen loves Notre Dame. Can't wait to get there. And then I remember hearing like just the very next day that he was going to go on a trip to visit Oklahoma. And this was while he was committed to Notre Dame. And so like, there was a bit of mixed messages there about maybe how blocked in he was. And Tom talked about that interested in uh, Michigan as well. I, I also think this now for starters, I, I thought this and a lot of people thought this about Howard Cross as well. When he came in, you know, he's only about, six foot one flat um we were worried about is this a guy who's going to get bottled bottled up by these big linemen um which is often the case for for defensive linemen of, of that stature smaller frame shorter and i wonder if that you know is maybe a, a situation that wafel will be dealing with as well not every player in that stature is howard cross howard cross is special but a lot of players in that kind of frame, and I think Owen is around that size, um, do have a big problem with just sort of getting off blocks, getting swallowed up by these huge offensive linemen. And so we'll see what happens. And my point is, I think Notre Dame needs to add more size. I love the size of these guys like Jason Anye uh, and Gabriel Rubio and some of these players. I think Notre Dame needs more of that. Um, and, and I think defensive tackle is going to have to be a priority for them uh, in this 2025 class. So, uh, but Owen Wayful, fantastic kid. Uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for him uh, no matter where he plays. We have a question from Martin Evenflow. Marcus Freeman said he doesn't want to, quote, major in the transfer portal. But considering how effective Notre Dame has been with it the last two seasons, shouldn't they at least double minor in it moving forward? And and, and to both of you guys, where do you think they need help? And And, Tom, maybe you have a better perspective. We're going to start with Kevin here, but – Maybe you have a better perspective on where they go, where they go next, and who, uh, uh, how many more they might add in the transfer portal this cycle. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, and I heard him uh, talk about that as well in the press conference, is you look at the kind of players 
Notre Dame really succeeds with. Um, and a lot of them are these guys who come in and maybe redshirt the first year and they they show this stick to and then they thrive later in their later in their career. Cam Hart uh, is a prime example. He came in as a receiver, stuck with it, and look what he turned into. He turned into like an invaluable cornerback for them, a multi-year starter, uh, a guy all his teammates loved. Great player, great player. I worry about like in the transfer era, a guy like Cam Hart transferring in 2020 and not getting anywhere near not getting to that point, right? I think maybe part of what Freeman's talking about there is wanting to continue to develop those kinds of players and, um, you know, getting them the strength program, having those long-term goals, developing those kinds of players. We've seen uh, many of them, many of them over the years, Maris Liufau, improvement year by year by year, a starter for them this past season. Um, lots of these players, not Osafo Menzo, we weren't really sure if he was going to play, ended up being a really, you know, important too deep player for them. Um, lots of different players have that long-term track. And so I think at Notre Dame, I think you always have to have that. You always have to have, we want to focus on high school recruiting, long-term development, uh, and keep guys in the program. A lot of kids also come to Notre Dame where that, that degree is really, really important to them. And so anyhow, I, I just think Notre Dame is never going to be probably won't often be at least a really high volume transfer school. There's a huge number of guys leaving and then a huge volume of guys being recruited and brought in every off season. But man, you just look at what they needed and what they've done uh, in this, in this, uh, this transfer, um, this transfer portal uh, situation just this month. They needed, they really badly needed some receivers. They just lost some guys, you know, guys like Chris Tyree and key guys who were contributors and, they go and get Chris Mitchell, who I think is fantastic. He had well over a thousand yards receiving. Bo Collins, we all know about him. I think he's, um, you know, he can be a sort of Miles Boykin-ish guy for them. I'm not saying he's going to put up those kinds of numbers like he did in his final year, but that was huge. And then you go out and get the quarterback they wanted, arguably the best quarterback uh, in the portal at the time when they were looking. And then they really, you know, of course, defensive end is going to be vital. And they go out and get R.J. Oban, who another one of their very top guys. So they're doing really well there. But I think the point is at Notre Dame, you need to focus on high school recruiting. You need those Cam Hearts and Drew Tranquils. And, you know, you need these guys. You need those long-term development. That's what Notre Dame's about. It always has been that way. And that's my thoughts on it. Anyhow. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to Notre Dame needs the transfer portal. Um, They need to be involved with it. They need to be active. But they're going to only be as active as they can. You know, that's obviously going to be different um, for them compared to most other schools. They can't really go after a lot of underclassmen. It's it's just how it is. It's what makes Notre Dame unique. It's what makes Notre Dame special. Um, they're going to be primarily recruiting out of, out of the high school level, and that's okay. Because if they need a difference maker on the back end of their career, if they've graduated, it's going to work out for Notre Dame because they are different. They are unique. Um but, at the, you know, I just I like I actually like the way they're going about the transfer portal because they can be very picky um, while also, you know, respecting the integrity of this, the school, the program and um, really fine tuning their their searches, you know, to, to you know, 10 guys. And then they're only going to land probably somewhere between five, that five and 10 mark. So um, but on that same note, um, I know that they uh, have been looking for a third receiver in the portal to add to Bo Collins and Chris Mitchell that we already talked about. But I just 
put a little nugget um, on the Four Horsemen Lounge to keep an eye on only, and I'm only mentioning this now because he actually is going in the portal and he announced that he's going to go in the portal is Jeremiah Hunter from Cal. Um, very productive receiver. Um, I think he's got over 2000 receiving yards in his um, three year, well, four years, technically, but three years on the field played over close to 30 games, 13 touchdowns at Cal. Um, keep an eye on him, six to 200 pounds. Um, that would be a guy that um, I'm very confident Notre Dame will target and recruit once he officially goes in the portal. There's going to be a lot of schools, um, I'm told, that are going to pursue this guy, and uh, that would be a guy to keep an eye on. But like I said, it's by the time this gets published, it's already going to be on the Irish Illustrated message board. But, yeah, keep an eye on Jeremiah Hunter. That's a that's a pretty good trade, huh? Uh, Tobias Merriweather for Jeremiah Hunter, that, that would be a pretty good trade. Yes, that's okay. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap up with a quick hit here. Last question. From uh, our old friend, Pin and Poll, what recruit do you already regret not putting higher in your 2024 rankings? I've got I've got your rankings right here in front of me, guys. Um, I guess I'll start. Okay. Yeah, um, I believe it's you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, that I wish was higher. Um, I did have that. Uh, I did have a couple conversations this morning uh, with some people at Notre Dame, and I'm going to have that according to sources article or articles uh coming up over the next couple of days at Irish Illustrated. Um and I, I Jack Larson comes to mind at 14. They are extremely high on him and they are stoked about him. Anthony Knapp is another one that I have him 10. Maybe they 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 want me to, to put him a little higher. Um I love my top of the list. So it's hard for me to push Keedron Young any higher than four, especially with the guys that I have in front of him. Um, after those conversations, I actually feel really good about, about my class ranking. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anybody else that I would move up, but, but like I said, those three guys, I'd probably move up maybe a spot or two, but, um, they're very excited about the Jack Larson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, like if, uh, if there's a, a guy where, you know, our, we'd already put our story together. We didn't go out till this morning, but we had it done, um, early yesterday, after that, after I knew I couldn't uh, go in and edit it or anything like that after the fact, because uh, we already had all those numbers logged in and there's calculations. Uh, one guy where I started thinking, hmm, I should have maybe had him a little higher is Leonard Moore. You know, he missed some games. He had some minor injuries, and I think he may have missed some games out of the idea that I got to make sure I'm healthy, you know, when I get to Notre Dame, that sort of thing as well. I don't know. Point is, he missed some games, so I only got a smaller look at him uh, as a senior, but I watched two or three of his full games, and every once in a while, I just see him flash this speed. He's got this speed, whether he's um, catching up with a wide receiver on a vertical, or he's playing receiver, and he's running a vertical, or when he was returning punts, he's he. I think he might have that, you know, that gear we talk about, where it's just, whoa, just a flash, he's gone very very agile and then he's like um you know i talked to someone who who spent like an hour with him in texas and he said he's just got the, the perfect body type for a corner he's six two like legit six two long and lean he's got that speed really bright kid out of austin his dad's a phenomenal guy kind of salt of the earth kind of family i get the sense of so i just like all how all of that adds up because we know speed at the cornerback position is uh, vital right and that length everything about him i was talking about cam hart just a little while ago and that long term and what he turns into 
think Leonard Moore has a shot at that too. And so I wish I'd be him uh, ranked a little bit higher than I did. Yeah, I, I know that first day in August when when we get out to practice, I'm going to be I'm going to be thinking about this question. Uh, but right now, you know, right now, Kedron Young, I'd bump up a couple spots. Uh, but but I guess the guy that I would say is just is Cole Mullins. And, and again, it's it's largely because of the injury. It's difficult to rate a guy when he's coming off what what happened to him prior to his senior season. But I think he's going to be, uh, you know, again, we've talked about him. I think he's going to be a, a quality. It's going to take a little bit of time. But I think he's going to be a quality uh, strong side end for Notre Dame. Hey, we're going to wrap it up with that. I do want to I do want to. Um, say that our next podcast is a little bit uncertain right now with Christmas coming up at the beginning of next week. Uh, but I think we're looking at uh, actually a week from today, the 27th, when we've all convened in El Paso uh, to have our next podcast. We'll keep you posted, of course, on our message board uh, and, and, and let people know via Twitter as to exactly when we'll be having our next podcast. But I want to thank, uh, thank Kevin Sinclair for joining us. Today and Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports. I think we had some, some good conversation here as uh, as we wrapped up uh, Nordings class of 2024. It's on to 25, guys. No time to waste. We got to keep pushing forward. They've got uh, I believe 10 verbal commitments, and I'm sure some some uh more coming up here very, very soon. Thanks for joining us, guys. Until the next time, thank you for joining us and listening to Irish Illustrated Insider.